And so as you're at home, I encourage you to, to grab a Bible if you have one near you, um, because we're going to be looking today at Luke chapter 21, verse 22 to 36. Uh, now, if you uh, were with us last week, you'll remember that we began to look at this extended dialogue of Jesus, and he's, he's really looking at and, and speaking to what, what theologians call eschatology. This is the, the study of last things. And he's talking to his disciples uh, about the end of the world, but really through the lens of something that was more immediate from the perspective of the disciples, the, the, the destruction of the Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. And, and I pointed out last week as we, we looked at uh, verse 5, through verse 19, that for um, Jesus, he's looking at the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple with almost bifocals, where you, you're almost confused. Are we talking about destruction of Jerusalem, or are we talking about the end of the world? That that you, you could say that the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD was the, the beginning of the end, that it was the beginning of this display of final judgment in a sense that that will be brought to completion at the end of the world. And, and so as Jesus is talking about this, he, he's not trying to give us all of the information that we need. We, we said last week that he didn't tell us when it will happen exactly, uh, but he's telling us how to be prepared today. How should we live practically today in light of eternity? And so again, this is Luke chapter 21, and I'll begin reading in verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are outside in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the power of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, cares of this life, that you they come upon the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your word, that your word is, is truth, that, that heaven and earth will pass away, uh, but that your words will not pass away, that the grass withers, the fire fades, the word of the Lord endures um, forever. And so, Lord, we pray that we can situate ourselves today in the present in light of the, the past and the future, that we can be prepared, sober, ready at all times for the coming of our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. So I think that is, some of you maybe know that the one thing that I've done over the past few years is um, kind of experimented with bread making. Um, and it's always a lot of fun. I have the you know, sourdough starter and, and try to recently been making bread just about every week. But one of the aspects of, of uh, bread making, and I don't know that much, you know, I'm just still a, a novice, um, but that I've noticed is, is that to make bread, you have to be able to recognize signs along the way. When is the, the dough uh, proofed enough? When is it ready to put in the oven? When is it ready to take out of the oven? And as you're observing what is happening, you have to internalize the signs that you're supposed to look for, and then the response to those signs at the given point of the, the process. What do I do when I see this? Um, and in a way, that's how we can think about redemptive history as well, the, the history that Christ is unfolding for us here in this text. That Jesus is calling us to, to recognize signs and then to respond to signs in the right way. And this is what he was holding out to his disciples at that time and his, us too as well, that, that he wants us to, to recognize signs, respond to the signs in the right way. And, and so he shows this reality both in the past and the future, but then also he shows it for us in the present. And so let's start with the, the past for, for people who lived around the time of AD 70, uh, that they were called to, to recognize signs and then respond to those signs in the right way. And that's what we see in our, our text in verse 20 to verse 23. It, it says that, that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Uh, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are in the countryside enter, enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And alas, for, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people. And so from the perspective of those who are hearing Jesus offer this teaching at his time, it, this was a future reality that he was saying, here are future signs, future response. But from our perspective, now what we're seeing here 
is in the past. These are these are past signs, past response. In a way, you could say that that the instructions here from Jesus have expired in a sense for us because the events have already taken place. But that doesn't mean that the words here aren't relevant for us, that, they, that these are words that we can just skip over or not pay attention to, <clears throat> because like them, <clears throat> we are also called to recognize signs, to respond to signs in the right way. And so as you look at the text, you can see the, the sign that Jesus wanted people at that time to look for. And he says, verse 20, that when you see Jerusalem surrounded, that was the, this climactic sign that they were to look for. When you see an army encircling the city, pay attention. And then you see the response that Jesus wants from people as they see this, the city surrounded. They, he says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city uh, depart. Uh, let, the, let not those who are outside in the country enter it. And this would have been the absolute counterintuitive response for people in the ancient world, that, that when you saw an army approaching, what you were supposed to do, that the textbook response, what you would do, I mean, it's kind of like the fire drill of the time. And an enemy army is approaching, go into the fortified city. That's where you're going to be safe. That's where you're going to, to be protected. But Jesus is telling his disciples to do the opposite of what is the commonly established practices. He, he says, when you see the, the army surrounding Jerusalem, I want you to go the opposite direction. Head for the mountains, get out of the city as quickly as possible. If you're in the countryside, you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, don't go into the city, get out as quickly as possible. And of course, we know historically from Josephus, a Jewish historian who saw the events of AD 70, that, that the death toll when the Romans took the city was unimaginable. Um, jo Josephus says that 1,100,000 Jews died in the destruction of Jerusalem. He said that 97,000 Jews were taken into captivity in the nations around. Now, he he's known for exaggerating numbers. This is ancient society. We're estimating large numbers like a million people would have been very difficult. But from all accounts of the time, we do know that historically the death toll was unimaginable. That that it was for even for the Romans who is who experienced it, who had seen the sieges of other cities, who had seen battles and and death, that this is something that that they had never seen. It, it was it, it would have been a terrible thing to to witness and to behold an incredible holocaust of the of the Jewish people at that time. But in the providence of God. Christians largely escaped that fate in Jerusalem uh, because there's a, another historian named Josephus, or sorry, um, Eusebius, who was a bit later, um, but he says that, that when Christians saw the, the Roman armies surrounding Jerusalem, that they remembered the teaching of Jesus in this text. They, re they remembered the warnings that Jesus had given and by and large, the Christians got out of the city. They, they headed for the mountains. And even though it was, as Jesus says, difficult for, for infants, for nursing mothers to have this flight from the city, that, that listening, seeing the sign, responding to the sign in the way that Jesus told them to do that, literally saved the early church, saved the, 
Jerusalem church from almost utter destruction. Of course, as we think about that, looking in the past, that should make us pay attention to, to, to hear the words of Jesus, to hear the predictions of Jesus, to trust the predictions of, of Jesus, that, that the signs that he predicted came true. Um, the instructions that he gave to respond to those signs saved lives. It was the right response. And so we need to pay attention to the words of Jesus as well. But that's thinking in the past, back to AD 70. But as our, our text continues, it suddenly fast forwards, even past our time into the future from our perspective. And we see then how people at a future time are called to recognize signs and then respond to those signs in the right way. And this is what we start to see in verse 24 in your Bible, that those who remained in Jerusalem, Jesus says, will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so this verse here, 24, is this transition, as I said, from the past to the future. And Jesus is saying, the people who are in the city are either going to die or go into captivity. And that's exactly what happened. But then Jesus gives this prediction. He says that, that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. But then he also says that this will be until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now, that, that phrase, time of the Gentiles, is notoriously hard to understand. What is Jesus talking about? Um, I mean, a lot of my time this week studying this passage was just trying to figure out what Jesus means by time of the Gentiles fulfilled. And there's a lot of theories, a lot of nuances of how Christians understand this phrase. But nearly everyone, even with different views, uh, agrees that we are currently living in the time of the Gentiles. No matter how you take it, no matter the nuances, that we live now in the time of the Gentiles described here in our text. And you can take it in a, in a negative sense, um, that it's this trampling of Jerusalem by the Gentiles, um, drawing on the language of Daniel 8.13, Daniel 12.7, this, this apocalyptic language of the Old Testament. And, and even today, if you were to go to the Temple Mount, the site where the Jerusalem Temple used to stand, um, there is a, a Muslim structure there, the Dome of the Rock, built in the 600s. But the very place where Yahweh was worshipped, the very place where the Holy of Holies was, was located, this most sacred place on all of planet Earth in the Old Testament, um, that, that there, it's now no longer the worship of Yahweh, uh, but the worship of a false god. Um, that, that, that site, that formerly holy site, is trampled underfoot by the Gentiles to this day. Um, but, but also I think you could take this phrase in a, <clears throat> a negative I'm sorry, in a more positive sense as well, um, that it's, it's talking about the, the, the gospel going out to the nations, that yes, there's this trampling of the Gentiles, but also it's the time of the Gentiles because now the way of salvation has been opened up to the nations, um, the Great Commission to go into all nations preaching Christ, um, the opportunity for Gentiles <clears throat> to be grafted into the covenant people of God. And, and this is actually what is described in the parallel to our passage in Mark 13. It says that <clears throat> the gospel must 
first be proclaimed to all nations. And so they're talking about the, the being first proclaimed to all nations. <clears throat> it's describing the, the gospel going out to the nations before the return of Christ. And so if you say, well, <clears throat> we're living in the time of the Gentiles now, then when will it be fulfilled? Because it says that, that it'll be trampled until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And this is, again, where, where most interpreters, even with different nuances, see the end of the time of the Gentiles as being the second coming of Christ, the return of our Savior. There's a lot of disagreement about what happens after the return of Christ. But for the most part, people agree that, that this time would end with the second coming of Christ. And that makes sense even in our text, because in verse 25, <clears throat> that's where Jesus goes. He goes to the return of Christ. He says that there will be signs <clears throat> in moon and stars on earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And so in the signs of the destruction of Jerusalem, it was the city surrounded. But here for the signs of the end of the world, Jesus is saying it's, it's perplexity, it's roaring of the seas, it's, it's people fainting with fear, it's foreboding of what's coming on the world. And you say, well, how then do Christians respond in that time when those signs appear? Because it's not like the destruction of Jerusalem where you can just escape, get to the mountains, get away from it, because... This is the calamity that the destruction of Jerusalem pointed to that's coming on the whole earth. You can't get away from it because it's coming on the world. And so what is the response? When, when you recognize the sign, what do you respond? Um, and that is what we see in verse 28. It says that now when these things begin to take place, when you see these signs, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of people uh, coming to your house unexpectedly. You get a phone call. Hey, I'll be there in five minutes. And your house maybe isn't as tidy as you want it to be. So you run around with your children cleaning everything up because you're, you're not ready or not prepared. And that's what could happen to many at the final day, that there's a sense of, of not being prepared, not being ready, that there's distress, perplexity, roaring of the seas and, and and people wonder am i am i ready for the end and it's not just the end of the world but this could be the end of our our lives that that we face the moment of death and we say am i actually ready for the end there's there's foreboding there's there's fear and so the question is are we ready when everything seems like it it falls apart would we respond in fear or would we be able to straighten up in a sense be excited um, knowing that, that the day of redemption is drawing near. And this is the confidence that we actually have through Christ, that if, if we're trying to earn salvation through our own good deeds, through being good enough, then you see the perplexity of nations, you see the end, whether the end of your life, the end of the world, and you wonder, have I done enough? And you don't know if you've done enough, because it's based on your good deeds, your ceremonies, your own faithfulness. But when our certainty is rooted in 
the perfect life and the sacrificial death of Christ, when we know that our sins have been counted to him on the cross, that his righteousness has been counted to us, that we're adopted into the family of God, then, then we don't have to shrink down when we face the end, but we can actually straighten up, that we can be excited, that we can be confident, because the confidence is not rooted in ourselves, but in, in Christ, that we can respond very differently to, to fear and to death and to the end than the world around us would respond because we have nothing to fear because of what Jesus did for us on the cross that our destiny is secure in him. And so again, we've seen how people in the past, AD 70, were called to recognize signs, respond to those signs. We've seen how people in the future at the very end of time are to recognize signs, respond to those signs, straighten up, be excited for the day of redemption is drawing near. But now let's finally at the here at the end think about today the the present that how are we called to recognize signs and respond to those signs today in our world and that's what jesus begins to to touch on in verse 29 he says um that he tells this parable look at the fig tree and all the trees as soon as they come out in leaf you see for yourself and you know that the summer is nearly near. Sorry, 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 the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. So as he often does, Jesus uses this very practical illustration of trees in the spring he's saying when you see the trees bud when you see the leaves coming out you know summer is almost here you can you recognize the signs you know what is coming and this is what he's been saying that that for the people in the past they saw the signs Jerusalem being surrounded they knew what was coming so they got out in the future people will see that the signs and sun and moon and stars and and on the earth, perplexity, roaring of the seas, of the waves, they'll see the signs and they'll know it's due, straighten up, know that the, the, the day of redemption is coming near. But our, our call today then in the present world is to, to watch the signs, to, to be informed citizens in the world, not to just have our head in the sands of, of what is going on around us. And that doesn't mean that we become obsessed with the news, that it's all that we, we read. I mentioned last week uh, from Jesus in verse 8 of our chapter that we shouldn't be led astray. We shouldn't be fooled by people who say it's the end. The end has come already, um, that, that we shouldn't be led astray into false apocalyptic movements. We shouldn't be led into conspiracy theories that draw out um, implications from the news that aren't reality, that we should be people of truth of verified reality of scripture but we should know what is going on in the world it's important for believers and i remember one preaching book that i read that was before the invention of the smartphone uh, but they said that that the minister should have the their bible in one hand and their newspaper in the other hand um, and the, the the idea is not that they, those two have equal authority but the sense that that we we should you have the newspaper in our hand that we know what is going on in the world. We're, we're watching events of our, of our current world. 
but then even more importantly, we have the scripture in the other hand, uh, which is how we interpret reality, how we, we put in context the terrifying things that we see around us. We know how to respond in, in faithfulness, no matter what we see coming down the pike in our, in our lives. And, and that's our call to, 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 to be constantly in the word of God and then bringing that to bear in the, what we see in the world around us, whether the end is soon or whether the end is far in the future, way beyond our life. Now, as a, as a side note, um, look at verse 32. It, it, there's this, another difficult saying in this passage. It says that this generation will not pass away until all this has been accomplished. So again, in my preparation this week, this is another one that had to spend a lot of time wrestling through um, because there's, there's a lot of debate about this, this verse, because on the surface, what it seems like Jesus is saying is that the people who are listening to his teaching at his time would be the people who both experience the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming, because he's, he's just described both realities, the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of the world. And he says that, that this generation will not pass away until all of these things have been accomplished. And so some people who have a, a low view of biblical inspiration say, well, Jesus got it wrong. Jesus believed that, that his disciples would be alive at the second coming, and he didn't, he didn't know. It, he, it, it, he was incorrect in his prediction. But for those who have a high view of, of scriptural inspiration um, and who believe that Jesus is the eternal son of God, that he's not a false prophet. He's not making a false prediction here, something that didn't come true. So how can we understand what he's saying? And again, it's hard to know for sure. There's lots of plausible explanations, but really the, the best explanation that, that I saw is, is taking this generation as often as that phrase is used in Luke to refer to this evil generation that is rejecting Christ. And that, that throughout the, the history of the of the church, the, the age of the Gentiles, uh, that this generation that didn't see the sign of Jesus' first coming will continue, and that 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 the generation that will be at the end when Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead will be in solidarity with the generation of Christ's time. That it is this generation that, in a sense, this generation is stretched throughout this 2000 years as, as the ones who have this hostility to, to Christ, that this generation, this evil generation will not pass away until all has been accomplished. But getting back to our text from that side note, um, I was saying that, that, that we have the, the Bible in one hand, we have the newspaper in the other, we're, we're reading the book of God's word, the book of what the world that is going on around us. But then again, we face the question as we look to the end, this evil generation, what does it look like to be faithful in the midst of this generation? How do we respond today? And that's what we see in verse 34. Jesus says, but watch yourself, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And they come upon you suddenly like a trap, but will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. And so Jesus is saying, how do we respond today in our present world? It's watch ourselves. Be careful. Don't be weighed down, he says, by dissipation, uh, essentially a hangover, by, by drunkenness, uh, by 
substance abuse, by the, the cares of, of the world. And, and the idea here from all of this is that, that we are called to be prepared, to be ready, to be, to be sober in our life, to be ready at all moments for the return of Christ, not to be distracted, not to, to be lulled into a sense of security. And it reminds me of somebody who's on a watchtower, so waiting for an enemy army to approach, that the watchman wouldn't be drunk, wouldn't be asleep, that they're saying, no, I have to watch all the time. I have to be, to be ready because I don't know when it comes. And that's our call in, in the, the spiritual battle of life, to be constantly ready, constantly prepared, to not be weighed down by the cares of life. It's like the parable of the sower, that there, there was the, the grain that, that fell on certain ground, but then as it, as it, as it rose up, that it was with the, the uh, weeds that choked it so that it proved unfruitful in the end. Um, and, and, and that's the image of people who, they hear the word of God, they respond uh, with joy. Um, there is this sense of, of, I'm you know, excited about Christianity, but then all the cares, all the concerns, all the distraction of, of life come in and they prove unfruitful. They're not ready for the day of, of judgment. They're not ready for the things that are coming on the world. And that is what could so easily happen to any of us that we stop reading our Bible. We stop praying. We stop prioritizing uh, the worship of God's people. Uh, we don't intellectually reject the gospel but that we're not ready, we're not watching, we're not praying, we're not ready for the end. Because again, the end, if it's not the end of the world, the end of our lives will come on a day that we don't expect. It could be sooner, it could be, be later, but are we truly ready? Are we truly prepared? As Jesus says in verse 36, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the sun of man. And that's our ultimate call to be, to be ready to stand before the son of man. And that posture of standing before God is not through our own goodness, through our own works, through our own ceremonies, but it's through the perfect life, through the sacrificial death of our savior, Jesus, um, knowing that, that we stand because he bore the wrath of God. He went to the tomb for us. He was laid down so that we could stand before God and so that we can we can hear the instructions look to the past look to the future uh, stay alert stay sober stay faithful hold on to Christ being ready for the day when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead let's pray father in heaven we thank you for um, your clear instructions that you instructed people in the past your your word proved true that you saved the lives of the church in Jerusalem in AD 70. But Lord, we can, we can forget. We can stop watching, stop paying attention. Um, Lord, we, we get so focused on the things of this life, the distractions, the, the pleasures, the concerns that, that we don't have you at the center, Lord. We, we want to be ready. We want to have a complete, clear conscience when we see your son coming on the clouds of glory or the moment when, when we face death, or when we're brought into the hospital, or when we're alone, or, or, or when we're fading from this life to the next, Lord, we don't want to be afraid, we don't want to be unsure, Lord, we want to be ready, we want to be prepared, so Lord, help us today in this present world to have our eyes fixed on Christ, to have our eyes fixed on your word that is truth, 
um, to not follow the, the fear of the, the world around us, to not respond as those do in the world, but to respond as you tell us, knowing that your word is truth. And so we pray all this in the name of our Savior, through the Holy Spirit. Amen.